This podcast is brought to you by All Things Film. <coughs> no, it, it really is. All Things Film, the web's premier collection of independent movie and TV related podcasts. For more, check out www.allthingsfilm.co.uk or search All Things Film on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. And now, on with the show. But Alan Tam is quite delightful. When you've got no place to go, Alan Tam, let it go, let it go. Welcome to Podcast on Fire 198 on the Dragon Family and Casino Raiders. And well, 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 it seems we found something we like doing here on the network. I.e. taking a big old smelly steamy pile of crap on Alan Tam. That's what we usually do over here. But, 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 but. we reserve judgment until after the movies in questions are questioned or reviewed. On my end, I'm mostly underwhelmed. Sometimes surprised, and during this episode we put up another duo of Alan Tamflix, two of them, to see if we're willing spokespersons for Team Tam or not, or if we're here to take craps again, right into his Midnight Rider mouth. (laughs) 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 So, the movies me, Kennedy, and Eastern Film fans, head on show Phil G, are going to review on none other than Lao Ga Wing's 1988 gangster actioner The Dragon Family, starring everyone and Alan Tam. And in the second half, uh, I differentiate everyone from Alan Tam, obviously. Uh, and in the second half, we take a look at the movie that many forget when talking of the late 80s gambling craze in Hong Kong, and that is Wong Jing and Charles Hung's Casino Raiders from 1989. So, welcome back, Phil G, wherever you are on team tam now or on team tam later but it, it's our thing phil right the alan tam crapping yeah it, it, well it's it's our thing at the moment i think um it went so well it went down so well last time that we had to come back for more crapping perhaps or perhaps not let us see indeed because when we first did this the can of uh, and um found two alan tam movies lost blood and pantyhose hero it was um you know, it was good fun, and one of them was a surprise for me, and, uh, well, I, I knew of it before, but it's still a surprise that he's so good in it, and Pantyhose Hero is what it is, uh, which uh, is, it has its own problems, but we had discussed that before, but, uh, hey, it's our little theme here, we can't run it forever, because there's, there's not a whole lot of his movies that are part of this classic Hong Kong cinema canon that this show mainly concerns itself with, so we're not gonna go into, like, Age of Miracles or something like that, one, I don't want to. Again, didn't like that movie. It's a drama, but uh, no, nothing wrong with drama. But uh, that movie, um, it was Alan Tam's fault. And as, as it always is, I always if it's if it's a slight weakness, ah, gotcha, Alan, gotcha. So yeah, that's our thing, buddy. Let, let's get your plugs out of the way. And uh, like in, um, it's uh, late. What is it? Late May right now. So in broad strokes, uh, what, what's been going on in May and what's coming up in early summer for Eastern film fans? So the URL and uh, the story story as it is right now. 
Okay, so uh, yeah, over at Eastern Film Fans, I just uh, Mike Fury got in touch with me. He's just brought out a book called Life of Action. So it was very uh, decent of him. He gave me an exclusive clip from that. Um, with none other than Robin Shu. Uh, he's also interviewing uh, Scott Adkins, Cynthia Rothrock, and the likes. And the title says it all, Life of Action. So people that like their action cinema, and we do at Eastern Film Fans, um, should check out Mike Fury's Life of Action book. Is it more, is it a more of a, a history of action or like uh, lessons on how to choreograph action on film mixed with interviews or what's the like direction of the book interviews with the stars so you've got your mainstream or well, mainstream but you know your Dolph Lundgren has just got Adkins um people of that elk and he's gone out and and you know found out about you know the action cinema in general so life of action it says it all in the in the title so uh intriguing book it, it's something that stood out as soon as I heard about it a couple of years back he was thinking about why well, I said keep me in the loop keep me in the loop that that's my kind of book so I'm going to look forward to to reading it and I'll put a review on site but he was uh, gracious enough to give us a couple of the uh, snippets from the book um so it'll certainly have an appeal to action fans in general and to eastern film fans as well is Alan Tam in the book <laughs> no no but I will request to cut at the last minute <laughs> Yeah, could you please get an interview with Alan Tam? Who? Uh, yeah. T- Team Tam. Tammy. Team Tam. Team Tam. Haven't you heard podcast on fire? Yeah. No. The whole champs one. Team Tam. It could happen. You know, he's good at flipping and he's not a bad, necessarily a bad action performer when uh, in, in some movies. So, hey, he's, he's been part of the life of action in Hong Kong cinema. Let's just say that. Yeah, exactly. Right on. Uh, any any other news in particular from, from May and coming up in June? Yeah, iron's in the fire, so you know you never know what's gonna gonna happen and who agrees to do what, etc. Um, and I'm still gonna carry on with my Jackie Chan top ten movies. I'm doing excellent at the moment. We're in May, and I think I've got uh, two on site at the moment, so going great guns. Only eight more to get through till the end of the year. Hey, let me quiz you on something. It's always it's always interesting to me. Not quiz you, just uh, to to get an opinion from you. One of the most uh, the the movies that divide viewers like hardcore is not a Jackie Chan starring vehicle but it's one he's in and it's widely seen because it's been all around the world and all of that because Jackie was in it and it's uh, the Taiwanese movie Fantasy Mission Force so where do you stand on Fantasy Mission Force I'm also intrigued and I must revisit that Um, I I will say now and not to give anything uh, away for the top 10 but I don't think it made the top 10 it was kind of bizarre because I went through any Jackie Chan fan as they do hardcore like myself watches every single movie he's been in so the hundred movies in it any bit parts anything you know it's a slight cameo you watch it and i watched that many many years ago when i was going through the whole uh, spiritual kickboxer and, and and all those kind of films snake in the eagle shadow and and then you come across fancy mission force which What's is just <laughs> it's just a, like bizarre it it's is. like well, there's never been anything like it. I don't think there's anything like it since in his catalogue of movies. It's just so strange. I must revisit, actually, just to see if I can bring back the haunting memories of that movie. I don't know in a good or bad way, really. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'll take a rain check. You, you know, I, I know what divides people. It's the, it's not a unique movie and director to Yen Ping's canon because he liked these genre benders with a lot of movie references during this time like his movies golden queen's commando and pink force commander was kind of a lead up to 
the whole climax that was Fantasy Mission Force because then it turns really mad. And obviously Jack is not in it a whole lot, is mostly goofy, and it was a movie he did as a favor to Jimmy Wang Yu, people know that. But it yeah. is this, not this Hong Kong style comedy, but this almost mad Taiwanese Chu and Pin style comedy that's just ever so slightly more off the wall. That people just go, what the hell is this? There's no like, yeah, that was amusing. But Robert, people is just like, fuck that movie, get it out of here. Or they just, yeah, give me more of this. I'm going to have to come back and just revisit. I mean, it was that, and it has to be 20 years ago since I've seen it, I have to say. So it, it, it left an impression on me like, what the hell was that? But I don't think it left an Im- impression on whether I loved it or hated it at the time. I think it was just when I went through the whole anything Jackie Chan, I watched everything at the same time and, and never revisited that one. So, um, yeah, that would be that would be interesting to revisit, I guess. But I just remember thinking, what the fuck? It was completely, yeah. I, I like to slot that into the category of Taiwan reefer madness. <laughs> yes. And it's a good time because of it. You don't need, you don't need to actually inhale something off the street, so to say. Like, you can't just, wow, what's going on, man? <laughs> what the hell is that? But okay, good, good, good. Uh, and uh, uh, where are you on the World Wide Web, sir, for people who don't know? Yeah, so uh, World Wide Web, www.easternfilmfans.co.uk. You can find us there and Twitter and Facebook. Right on, and we'll uh, link to uh, Phil's uh, endeavors on the website in, in, the, in the show post. And for the rest of the contact information, this goes as follows. This is Crapping on Alan Tam Time on the Podcast on Fire Network. <laughs> it's an AKA for Podcast on Fire, of course. And we are on podcastonfire.com. We have plenty of shows on other countries' cinema all over Asia, Japan, Korea, and even sleazy movies and uh, Taiwanese movies. We do bonus episodes every now and again, so all of it is available to you there, so make your choice. We even talk ninjas, if you like that. If you have any questions or feedback, uh, hit us up on podcastonfire at googlemail.com, but you can also check us out on Facebook. Leave a like on our page, facebook.com forward slash network, and join the discussion group to follow show updates and in general fun good natured chat in uh, the group that we have decided to call podcast on fire network so just search that on facebook and you'll find us and our twitter handle is at podcast on fire over at my site sogoodreviews.com mainly focusing on uh, hong kong sleazy movies uh, taiwanese movies ninja movies but i review a variety of genres on there as well fairly recently went through a lot of the uh, pre-stardom just turned star uh, jackie chan vehicles uh, the low way yeah, movies uh, like you know Dragon Fist, uh, Magnificent Bodyguards, and all of that. Um, so yeah, that was a good thing to go through, like uh, over the course of a couple of days. Some turds in there, but uh, surprising, surprising good, uh, surprisingly good stuff in there. Uh, Dragon Fist probably be my favorite from that period, like uh, just after he broke and still had like a little bit of contract to uh, to appear in a movie or two for Low Way before he wanted to get out of that contract. Hence, Jimmy Wang Yu coming in, negotiating. Hence. Jackie Chan appearing in two Jimmy Wang Yu productions. So there we are. That's the uh, brief history of it all. Uh, but that's what I do on my site. I also do small video reviews at sleazykvideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And Podcast on Fire is available on iTunes. Don't search Crafting for Alan Time. You won't find us. And uh, <laughs> and you can subscribe to us, leave a star rating, and if you have the time, please leave a written comment as well about what you thought of uh, Alan Time and the show in general. And finally, stream us on Stitcher Radio if you don't like downloading podcasts to your device 
probably full of Alan Tam pictures. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> like 5,000 of them and they keep, I must have more. <laughs> at, at least on my device. Uh, that's the, tr- that's the truth. Like, I love him. I'm love, I love him secretly, as you, as you all know. Uh, but, uh, Split Your Radio has an online presence, but also applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. That's us for now. Let's take a short promo break and you'll hear a promo from one of our friends in the podcast community. So uh, check them out and support them if this promo plays, uh, plays well to you. If you fancy listening to uh, something that may not have be Asian cinema related, we're happy to feature any friends in the podcasting community uh, doing this for the passion of it all. So uh, check that out and we'll be back after the break to talk to the Dragon Family from 1988. <laughs> miles of bad road and now they have a microphone and their own show it's the daily grindhouse podcast the official podcast of dailygrindhouse.com starring g you tell that bitch who sent you here how sorry i am i can no longer be her friend and the man called perry I'm the one that killed Munden, whooped Tuesday, and put Wins in the hospital. All the birds did a tell five did not the birds, Sarah Jones, son. Reviewing the hits and the hidden from the world of exploitation, cinema, and beyond. Featuring exclusive cast and crew interviews. Past guests include John Carpenter, Robert Forster, Brian Trenchard Smith, but still no Steve Gutenberg. <clears throat> well, uh, we'll get him someday. We promise. I mean... We promise. The Daily Grindhouse Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, Podomatic, and of course at dailygrindhouse.com slash podcasts. The Daily Grindhouse Podcast, tough films for the rough crowd. Got the goddamn message? Let's go to work. Welcome back, and first review of this episode is of the Dragon Family from 1988. And plot from HKMDB, who actually extracted it, apparently, from the Tai Seng catalog. So it's simplicity personified, but I think it works. A power struggle within the triad leads to a bloody triad revenge with guns ablaze. That's pretty good, actually. That's, you captured that in a nutshell. Addition by me, just to emphasize that uh, this movie has actors. So, starring Andy Lau, Max Mock, Alan Tam, Ken Tong, Michael Mew, Ken Cheng, Ku Feng, Lau Gawing, William Ho, Philip Ko, Stanley Fung, Ching Fu Yong, Kara Hoi, and Lisa Chow, among others. That's pretty much a star studded. I mean, it doesn't star everyone. It doesn't have giant fat and, and the Jackie Chan, but you know, the, the small character players of its day and the young stars of the day gather for this, uh, for this one. It's a pretty big one. And for my short opinion of the film, it's not aiming to be a nuanced, a better tomorrow style drama or anything, but combined with a star cast and tons of familiar faces plus violence, this movie is a lot of fun and especially fun because Lao Ga Leung did the action. Lao Ga Wing, his brother, directed. So you get his take on modern action of the years of splendid kung fu at Shaw Brothers. So that, that's my short opinion. What do you think of the Dragon Family film? Yeah, yeah, same here. It was, it was that period, uh, and watching it again, I, I haven't changed my mind where, you know, I love that kind of heroic bloodshed. And like you say, it's got all the players at the time in from Hong Kong in it. The ensemble cast is superb. And it ticks, a, ticks along quite nicely. You know, it's not a a two-hour movie it could well have been they could have stretched it out somewhat but you know it, it rattles along at pace you get you get to the what you need to get to the the bloodshed the action is you know is what i'm there for because i love my action so you know it satisfies that need and like i say the cast is superb so yeah i've still got a lot of love for the movie even though it's been a while since i'd, I'd seen it so 
trepidation walking in, but once again, seeing it again, yeah, I, I loved it as much as I did the first time I watched it. That experience of going back to something you loved when you watched it, whether it was early DVD days or VHS days, and going into it thinking, have it survived? The mm. best ones have. It's the copies of a copy of a copy that doesn't play as well if it had a favorable impression on you in the day. Dragon Family isn't, you know, up there with the best of John Woo, but it's not this desperate copy either. And therefore, I think me me myself can uh, recognize that going into it, it still is uh, like it hasn't aged badly and the cliches of the genre have caught up to this one and all of that. Like it's still strong on its own. Uh, and uh, that's uh, so I have had that experience going back to even like the great classics of the years and years and years, like, you know, watching John Woo's best stuff after like a 15 year like gap because it can happen. They still survive. The best movies do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's only possibly fashion that doesn't. But still, the, these movies are necessarily not like, oh, welcome to the Call of Duty or anything. Like, yeah. it's, it's the 80s, but it's, it's a, it's, in this case, it's pretty doom, you know, gloom and doom in this one rather than like, yeah, have you heard the latest 80s tracks? La 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 la. And then boom, violence. No, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a product of the 80s in that way. Hey man, uh, let's talk, uh, action first. Uh, the Lao brothers are involved in this. Uh, Lao Garlung, who usually was the more frequent director, but Lao Gaoing was the director of this one. Lao Garlung, of course, director at Shaw Brothers and action, action director for many years. 36 Chamber of Shaolin, Mad Monkey Kung Fu, which we have covered. Heroes of the East, uh, My Young Auntie. You know, but the list goes on and he's a, he's a legend in his own right. And he had transitioned through this movie and Tiger on Beat to modern day action that he directed and i'm sure he had a hand in action directing that along alongside his brother and his uh, brothers uh lao gaoing and his uh, kung fu brother gordon liu and for me it's fascinating to see lao's old movies of course his shaolin depictions with gordon liu the monkey kung fu his actual good kung fu comedy he was like the only director in my mind who did good kung fu comedy at Shaw brothers mind-blowingly detailed and intense kung fu brought to the screen but this new creative chapter is rather cool actually because it's not this old-timey you know guy who desperately wants to fit into modern action i think through this and tiger on beat if you're talking action He's rather creative with modern action. Like, like it's not gunplay uh, echoed uh, to mimic John Woo, but looking at Tiger on Beat, like, has tons of cool gunplay creativity, chainsaw fights and that kind of action. And this one is obviously more gritty and violent, but he he transitioned very well. And I think through your limited experience with Lao Garlung, if you just think of Mad Monkey Kung Fu, for instance, and transitioning to this, I mean, how do you think he he does from Kung Fu to modern action, that transition? Yeah, like you say, it's uh, it's pretty amazing when you look at what well describe it kind of as gun fu. So take the fists away and replace it with guns in your hand, and then do exactly the same kind of choreography, except so you can shoot as well. So you got you you got your kicking, you got your shooting, you got gun fu, which like modern day action cinema, everybody's like, wow, you know, when Matrix come out, wow, look at this and stuff, and I was going. What are you talking about? I've been watching those movies back in the day from coming out of Hong Kong for years, and and that's what he's got. He's got that style, and he transitioned, like you say, really well from that classical kung fu to modern-day action. I don't think it was a massive change. What was really clever was he kept the same style. He just, he just brought guns into play with the action, 
and, and did the same the same choreography. I mean, it's it's beautiful when you watch it. I mean, the final sequence we'll come on to later, but as you watch the action unfold, you could take the the guns out, and it would still be kung fu, but you've got this gung fu instead. He didn't dramatically try and do something different. He did everything he did with the classics and just brought it into a modern setting. And and that's what it became. It's it's really quite clever. I think that's more true for Tiger on Beat. In Dragon Family, it's a mixture of that and really dark and gloomy actual violence. Like they brought Ringo yeah. Lam on the set to like, uh, like you're a dark guy, you're a depressing guy, like do some violence for it. But obviously, yeah. obviously they didn't. <laughs> but it is more gr- gritty and actual, you know, violence uh, dished out here. You are absolutely spot on. Like if you watch Tiger on Beat, Tiger on beat, not the beat. <laughs> it's you, you. You can actually you know, see, definitely see Lao Galang as like you draw a straight line to Shaw Brothers. Uh, is my point there, and even you know seeing Chaya Fat, uh, you know instead of using like a a spear, is using his. Um, shotgun in a in, exactly. in, in a fight he's not shooting it but he's using it he's using it in a fight and looks cool doing it and everyone pretty much does look cool in dragon family that leads us to alan tam so he has to like the verdict team tam or not i gotta say he's cool this movie he's cool like i i realized something watching both this and casino raiders what alan tam should have concerned himself with throughout his career and that is underplaying Yes. Because he can play cool. He can uh, have a dark streak in his character, but whenever he goes romantically wacky or comedically wacky, there might be a moment out of 1,000 I detest of his comedic choices and romantic choices, and that just leave me cold. But here it absolutely works, and you think of Lost Blood, why that works. He's cool and collected and not this, like... Look at me, I'm Alan Tam, I'm shooting guns. But no, he keeps his cool. And he's reined in. And that's a key here. I mean, do, do, just think of the sequence. His first sequence in the movie. And I gotta say, listeners, he's not in the movie that much. He is in the, a little bit in the first fourth and the last fourth. Because <laughs> he's not in it that much. That's why you're on Team Tam, I know. But if it had been a starring vehicle and he kept this mood to the character that's true to the movie... That would have been a, an excellent starring vehicle, I think. I mean, just think of the sequence where he, um, in the beginning, where he essentially stalks his victim in the mall. Yeah, yeah. You don't know uh, necessarily if he's a super good character or honorable character or not. I mean, uh, it, it, it's effective. It's effective. Uh, the, the, the going psycho with his eyes choice is a little bit less effective. There's a moment or two where he's like, okay, reel it in a little bit. You don't need to open your eyes. Speak of Valentine, what do you think of him in general? And, and, and is that the choice you prefer as well, rather than romantic and comedic? Well, obviously, I'm, I'm all about the action anyway, so I'm less on the romantic and, and, and that side anyway. So, But just to see Alan Tam, like you say, is that, you know, walk on and that ruthless assassin, you know, that moment. And he plays it well, like you say, he underplays it, which is, which is spot on. And, you know, a joke about, yeah, well, he's not in the movie that much, um, which kind of helps. But like you say, he underplays it and, and then comes across so well. And he, and he does in this movie particularly... Um, just playing that, not overstepping the mark, not that comedic, that silliness, which, you know, I, I don't really get too much anyway. I mean, people are, are a fan of it, but I, I like these kind of movies. I like these kind of dark, brooding, you know, action, especially revenge movies. Are, are all of my, my, my top movies are, are kind of revenge movies, that kind of thing. But Alan Tan plays it really well in this movie, I have to say. So definitely on uh, Team Tan for this one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he, he, he enters... Uh, 
you know, an early point, but he's in the movie at a key late point. Yeah. I mean, he's in the action finale, we can say that, so he gets to take part in the crescendo of the movie, so it's not a walk-on part for one minute, and we are going, team time, team time, yay! <laughs> like, <laughs> like it is, a, you know, you can put him on the poster for good reasons, like even front of the poster, so... Uh, but he's just one of many faces, and it, this is an appealing generation of young and veteran actors. They're, they're still around, but uh, the veteran actors of that day are now still veteran actors, but the young generation are now veteran actors as well. You know, yeah. just looking at Andy Lau is obviously in this movie, and he's still around, still doing, uh, obviously, you know, acclaimed work and dramatic work. We got, you know, Ken Cheng and Mew QI, Michael Mew, still around, and uh, I, I don't know if it well I, well, I do know, Robert, that this collection of young actors that were also in some cases pop stars were such a good bunch of extremely able and hardworking young actors that make this ensemble feel very appealing. Especially like, and here's the Lau collection, because uh, Lau brings in certain veterans that were with him during his Shaw Brothers days. Not, not Gordon Liu in this case, but, uh, you know, Norman Choi, you, he, you could see him in a, in a fair amount of, uh, of Lau Garland's movies uh, at Shaw Brothers that he directed. And it's that merger of a little bit of the old, but definitely the current times of young and old veteran actors that are, is so, so much fun to have because it's not this disgusting cameo walk-on kind of movie like, hi, here I am. Like, it's not one of those, like, uh, light New Year movies where there's a walk-on cameo. No, these were all hardworking actors and actresses. And you could have them in a movie at pretty much in 1988. It was no, like, stretch to have these many men and women in a movie. And I, I, I gotta say, Phil, it's, it's such an appealing feeling but especially since all of them are very talented the young ones and the and the veterans yeah you are yeah, it's a good point actually that that crossover from classic to modern and bringing those in like say norman chude like just, he, he eats the scene it's great as you know that kind of playing that kind of villain kofi even like a diagram pole fighter pole fighter Exactly. Uh, like uh, like yeah. at the end of uh, Lau's um, Shore Days. I mean, it- it's perfect. Every every character is perfectly cast. I can't think of anybody else I'd, I'd really replace as an ensemble piece that everybody has their role to play and they're not a not really a okay maybe Stanley Fung to a certain extent as a police officer, but they're not really walk on parts. There's you know there's parts by Kent Chung as well. You know gets to um, kick out a little bit. There's there's uh, there's all these characters. They have a significant part to play in what is a as a tight film as a as a as a whole. And like I say, I could have seen that as a bigger as a two hour film and stuff. But it, it's it's tightly put together. You know, much like kind of a Godfather kind of thing and built up than it is from at the beginning. That kind of movie. But everybody has a part to play, and it's very clever. Very clever. And you and you're right. I mean, it's good to have a movie that's tight that hasn't got the uh filler elements and we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that in a short bit because this is a one note one mood film despite having some players you expect to be comedic in that there's a none there's none whatsoever essentially and uh, all right for hong kong cinema that is a choice that doesn't seem like it should be admired but believe me hong kong cinema and other country cinema as well like uh I'm reading a little bit about Bollywood nowadays, and uh, and uh, e- even they did it like in their long movies. Like there was tons of elements. Just one scene switch, and next scene switch to another element. You know, song, dark comedy. You know, but th- this doesn't have that. Uh, and it's not cliched as a gangster piece either, despite us knowing that the the kind of frame device of the plot is that the head of the family 
uh, Oh Chun Hung, which is a Taiwanese actor. Uh, he, uh, you might have seen him feel as the prison warden in Island of Fire, which was also a Taiwanese movie. Like, yeah, it was bugging me. It was bugging. I was looking at him. I should have looked him up to be fair. I was like, I've seen him. I'm sure I've seen him around. Yeah, yeah, great. But again, great casting. His big boss, you know, he wants them to stay, go legit. And uh, you know this won't work because there's always going to be external forces wanting to grab more power and using violence to do so. In the case of this, it's led by Ku Feng, again, a Shaw Brothers veteran that still worked during this time. You know, he he worked with every Shaw Brothers director, Ku Feng. And uh, so it is, you know, gangster territory warfare as a springboard for action on violence, but it's still a very, and you're perfectly right, it's a good term, it's a very tight film. Uh, they, They focus on, you know, doing their best you know telling a little bit of a story not just like us waiting people talking and us waiting for someone to you know be shot in a bloody fashion or anything yeah and like Lao Ga Wing I mean he's a he's a good director actually I mean he's a one of my favorite movies ever in Hong Kong cinema he's talking of like multi-mood it's a sketch stiff Lao Ga Wing directed that and that is a mad mad movie that has tons of goofy comedy and then switches into Jello style murder sequences and Chayun Fat playing this corrupt cop is just absolutely mentally violent. And it's it's wonderful. And it has like elements of dreamscape as well, that movie. Do you remember Dreamscape? <laughs> like it was, wow, what an experience. And but Lao Gawing did good with the dark uh, and light uh, elements of that one. So I, I know he's a capable director and it's not he's not in a hurry either to just throw action at us. You know, this, no. like the intense stuff happens as the conflicts get bigger and bigger and more intense and intense. So he's uh, it's like uh, good at doing little dramatic beats. You know, the, the character of Ken Tong is uh, caught, uh, you know, doing drugs. Uh, not doing drugs, but, um, uh, you know, he's a drug dealer. Uh, in one scene, there's this... Um, the father, U Chun Hung, because of regulations, he's um, he has to hurt his son or kill his son because that's the regulations. And he, he turns out he, he shoots himself or slashes himself. And those kind of moments are, you know, well conveyed. I mean, it's 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 well conveyed darkness. Uh, you feel that kind of like, oh, my God, is the father going to kill his son? Because that's the only way to save face in that situation within this messed up world of gangsters you know what i mean like it, it's pretty affecting and that's still way before any intense action choreography i didn't miss action necessarily in this movie you know what i mean so what do you think of that no no exactly like you say the, the, that moment you, you're kind of building up towards it and you know obviously son's been set up and he stabs himself with the with the rather large knife to you know <clears throat> so fine, you know, I'll, I'll kill myself and stuff. And then we're quite comedic. It shouldn't have been. But obviously, when they're trying to save him and stuff, I swear, like, I can't, I can't remember the actor's name. He jumps on him to try and save him from being from uh, William Ho and, and obviously then plunges the knife in deeper, doesn't he? I mean, that's what, you know, inevitably is his, his downfall and stuff. It, I blame him. I blame his own family. I mean, what's, what's going on? But um, if you watch the scene, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. But yeah, it's it's clever. It's the way it sets up, and it, like I say, the short, sharp. You know, you're getting to the point. You know where it's get, heading to, and there's nothing needless. There's not a filler to it. Everything has a place in that to get to that point. I mean, it's kind of the inevitable kind of family pictures and and all all that kind of happening, which is quite clever. They're kind of setting the scene. You go, this isn't going to bode well. They're having family pictures. Do you know what I mean? There, there's a reason for it to be there to capture that moment. It's a family. You know, this family. That's that's the idea behind it. There's there's nothing like you say. There's nothing filler. It's 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 seamless as it 
as it carries the story forward. And they could have had filler. They have, um, I mean, Ken Chiang is a wonderful character actor and a dramatic actor, a great comedic actor. They could have just because they had Ken Chiang. Okay, you'll eat some stuff because you're fat and shit. <laughs> like, and we'll do that for five minutes. You know, after a dark scene, we'll have... Hello, boss, I'm eating a sandwich. <laughs> I don't know why I did a Homer Simpson thing there, but they, they could have done it, man. They could have done it. And that it could have meant this was 100 minutes because they had... Filler in the form of Ken Chang or whoever filling his or her stomach, you know. But they don't. They don't. It's it's like kept at dark and dramatic. Not not the most honed dramatic masterpiece out of Hong Kong cinema, but it's still admirable that they keep it dark. The emotions are running high, but like that hospital scene where Michael Mew is essentially wanting to just strangle Ken Tong because everyone in, everybody knows that he's uh, gone against the family essentially. That is melodramatic acting that could have gone wrong, but it works quite well because the its um, emotions are running high. Like all sons and all brothers are gathered there, and uh, it works. Like I, I detest melodrama, but it's in the case of this, it it's bearable. They don't use it as, oh my god, what are we gonna do? What do others do? They do melodrama. Great, we'll do that. That then that's acceptable, right? <laughs> then we're filmmakers, right? Like no, they they know better. Uh, they know better how, how to like put emotions on screen there, you know. You know, absolutely, and you, you like you say, you get to that point where you get to the funeral. That that is just a brilliant scene. I mean, it's bloody, it's brutal, it's you know, it's just a complete massacre. I mean, it's so cleverly done. You think, my God, they've just killed the entire cast. You've just seen them earlier, and now they've just they've all dead. Everybody's gone. What the, you know? It, it's it's so clever. I mean, it's it's bloody, it's brilliant, it's brutal. I mean, hey, hey, kids. You've seen Game of Thrones. No, watch Dragon Family. There, there's a brutal, there's a brutality for you. You're, you're not gonna get kids understand that Dragon Family, 1988. That's old man stuff. Go away, old man. Are there dragons? <laughs> like, no, there's no dragons. <laughs> we were killing actors. Hong Kong movies were killing it. The, the lead actors way before Game of Thrones come across. Come on, kids, get up to date. <laughs> you know, this is old news for us. We've seen it all before. It's not a shock to me. So, yeah, it's something like, I mean, it, it, it's a classic. It's a, it's a brilliant, it's a bloodbath um, and a classic scene. It really is. I mean, here's, uh, here's Lao Gawing and uh, Lao Gawing, his action director, really performing a, you know, they load up the stuntmen and actors with scripts and performing not a, an acrobatic action scene, but a massacre. It's exactly that, that. That's the exact word. It's a massacre, and with a lot of heinous acts. Like it's mid movie, so it's not really a spoiler. But like Xing Fuyon, who's in this movie? That's not a surprise either. He uh, goes you no know, behind. Like, like these funerals, they don't have the casket right there in the main room. They have it behind him. He goes in the back room and shoots the corpse. <laughs> and it's not. It's it's funny to talk of, but that's just wow. If you doubted that he was a bad guy, like. We're going to shoot him like two or three more times. Xing Fu Wong, nobody doubts he's a bad guy. You know, I mean, he is the epitome of badness. But yeah, I know what you mean. That's just memorable moments. And uh, the the entire cast really gets into the action. I think you alluded to it, but I'll, I'll mention it briefly again. Ken Cheng even does a little bit of yes. gr- gritty action during some sequences post this, where it's shot at, um, at night. There's a little bit of an apartment uh, tussle, I suppose. And uh, it's not like Ken Cheng just throws a little punch. You know, he's in there, like, uh, twirling and whirling a little bit and uh, yeah. wrestling and what have you. And not that he isn't able just because he's a heavy set fella, but rather they choreograph something that is something he can do based on his skill set. Yeah. Him being an extremely skilled actor. I'm not surprised either that he can combine with what's required of him 
in terms of action and then bring the acting forth and therefore makes violent uh, scene like that stand out you know that's a like um a, a combo that works in this case uh. yeah it's clever yeah absolutely ken chong you know he reminds me a little bit of, you know samuel hung moment and stuff and he, he does locally he does portray that again that powerful that we've talked about like pedicab driver when you see Sam and that power and he does that with ken chong in this as well which is you know breaks out like you say he could be just sitting in the car chewing on the banana and just have that comedian, but he doesn't, you know, he throws him into the action, like, whoa, kid, show you, oh, he's breaking out, yeah, saving Max Mark at the time and stuff, and I do like Max Mark, I mean, he's, he's a wet, wet blanket, maybe, but I like it. There was a comedic moment in that scene with Kent Chung, where he's coming to save Max, isn't he, Max Mark, he's in the uh, wardrobe, isn't he, because the bloke goes in with the lighter, and looks, he's looking for, uh, he's looking for Max Mark, and then comes out and lights his cigarette, and he's behind in the, uh, like, bag, you could just see his face, <laughs> Which I did shorter that a little bit, I have to say. So there is a moment of, uh, I wouldn't say it's, it's not a comedic moment, but it's kind of a light moment in another what, very bleak movie. Yeah, it's quite gloomy as shot as well. The night sequences are very like, yeah, they're using these, uh, yeah, like the cinematography is really good. They're using the blues and they're, they're lighting the darkness, you know, really well with the light, with the white highlights and what have you. It is a very, as shot is very clear as well, which is no surprise back then. But if you would have seen a, clearly shot action movie nowadays that's a rarity here's like a, it's um all throughout it's very stable not boring stable they didn't just point the camera and shoot but they they weren't uh, plagued by this generation's uh, apparent need for shaky cam everywhere or, or so or someone thinks that's the kid kids want I, I don't know you have kids do they ever get dizzy watching these movies like hey why is the camera shaking or they just go yay we're in a roller coaster right now Nah, they were, they were fine with Dragon Family. They loved it. They're eight and ten. They're quite capable of watching, you know. <laughs> oh, my God, they've just set someone on fire. Speaking of that, by the way, the best stunt in the movie belongs to a stuntman or woman, but also actress Lisa Chow, which is, I believe, because I, b- before I say it, um, I'm going to double check so I'm right. She is a Shaw Brothers veteran, and I'm just going to check if I remember her correctly from... Oh yeah, she's the um, Jimmy Wang Yu's love interest in the first two one-armed swordsman movies. Lisa Chow, or Chow Chow, they set her on fire. She does a fire stunt. She's a somewhat older lady that does a fire stunt in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a game game actors. I mean, they they weren't that careless where they. Did we bring a fire extinguisher? I don't know. Well, sh- shoot it anyway. It'll be fine because there's water around anyway. <laughs> But, but but I know I, I'm sure they planned it uh, carefully. But they set her on fire. There's no doubt that for a few seconds she's on fire in this movie. Like her legs are uh, not. Uh, it, it's not a big, uh, big uh, full-on uh, fire stunt. The stuntman or woman uh, does that for her. But uh, that, that, that's like the most memorable moment for me in terms of like I watched this many years ago. But that one stood out because my God, Lisa Chow did that. Yeah, like so it's brutal again, and, and and playing with the the theme of the movie, you know. And everything going forward is just, um, uh, and obviously it sets up then for the finale. It, it's like I say, total. Yeah, it's with the with the movie and the feeling of the movie, but it completely uh, and utterly brutal. Uh, it's brilliant, an absolute brilliant. <laughs> and by that point, Alan Time has returned. His, yes. his character has left for Taiwan to hide uh, after he's uh, committed a, a crime before uh, the actual main plot kicks in. I, I'm not trying to be funny when I say this. Uh, 
because you saw him having sparse dialogue before. When he returns, he's a bit more chatty. I would have liked his character to be... Because I like his non-verbal acting mm. quite a lot, actually. He does that so well. So I'm not too keen on when he talks. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It doesn't disrupt the performance at all. I mean, he has a commanding presence here between that trio of him... Andy Lau and Max Mock, he's surely the senior. A little, he feels like a little bit of a senior and looks suave in black, you know. And uh, yeah, they, they do well and he does well. Yeah. Uh, all throughout the movie, really. I mean, uh, that's just me being funny. Like, hey, it would be cool if we had a mute Alan Tan performance. I think I would have dug that quite a lot. But it's not like whenever he speaks, oh my God, turn it off. Not at all, not at all. And you heard it here, folks. This is, this is Kenny B., Loving the Alan Tam. Yeah, he's on Team Tam today, kids. Hey, that was a surprise, wasn't it? Yeah, all you listeners out there wasn't expecting that. But, you know, we, we aim to please. But you're right, and he plays it so well, the ruthless assassin. And like you say, and I understand where you're coming from if you didn't speak as much and you still got, if it was a bit more that broodiness in the background and let, you know, let Andy Lau do what he does best and, and do the do the acting. Tom Cruise of the Hong Kong world. But, um, <laughs> yeah, Alan Tam, as you say, he's... It, 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 but he plays it so well in this movie, like I say, so I ain't going to take anything away from him. Um, and like I say, those three do have that chemistry, you know, Mars been burned to death and you know, they're off for, for bloody revenge and Andy Lowe is, you know, down and out and stuff when they find him and he's, his hand's broken up and, you know. A little bit of a Better Tomorrow echo there, but not a disgusting one, though, because he's limping and he's now downtrodden and he's yeah. on the lower end of the scale and they have a little reunion as brothers, but it's it's not a carbon copy of... Um, like, you can carbon copy a moment, I think, but it, when you carbon copy an entire plot, then you're on a little bit of a shaky ground, but that's not what director Laugawing is doing here. But, um, but yeah, I, I like this tree. I mean, Max Mock is so underrated, I think. Yeah. Just like Andy Lau, he could perform action so well and neither of them i think are extensive i know andy lau isn't extensively trained but he he can perform movie fighting some stunts and it's definitely him and then you get some stuntmen to do other things i don't know if max mark has an actual background in martial arts and kung fu i've never read up on it but he certainly at this time was a very apt action performer you know he got like nightlife hero was one movie i remember having so much fun with and and the Once Upon a Time in China movies were more comedic performers than performances. It's going to bug me now. Was it Bloody Brotherhood? There was something. I remember him being another one. I had it on VHS back in the day and stuff. And I always rated him in that. And he wasn't a, a massive mainstream one. But it was uh, It was definitely... And it might have been the first movie I saw him in and thought, actually, this kid's good. And I, yeah, I got a lot, a lot of love for Max Mark, I have to say. I'd probably like to dig some more of his films out and watch some more because... Like I say, he, he is class and he works He works so well in this movie as well, playing playing as he does. And a decent actor too. Um, there's, a, there's a good um, undercover thriller that I think was called something Scared Secret Signs or Scared Signs. Uh, but regardless, I remember that movie both as a solid undercover hell movie, as you've seen. But it actually opens with partly staged but some real documentary footage like it seems like it's um it's depicting the triad world with these grainy creepy like uh shots of uh triads being maybe secretly filmed and there's scenes of crime scenes that might be real and they interview a triad that is um uh, you can't see him he's in the dark because he wants to be anonymous and that is that is an actor but it's such an unusual opening for 
a movie, and uh, then it, that leads into Max Mock's story, um, directed by Dick Cho, or uh, Secret Science, I think it was, but uh, look it up, it was made around this time, 88, 89, 90, sort of. But alright, let's uh, the, the the few notes I have left, we might as well touch on a few specifics maybe during the finale, um, that features uh, essentially this trio versus the likes of, uh, I think William Ho is still here, certainly Norman Choi is like the main opponent at this point. He plays one of the bad guys in this movie, and uh, it's great. It's uh, it's set in a very tight space, which I absolutely like, and there's a mix of gunplay and gun-fu, if you will, Lau Garlong's transition from Shaw Brothers to doing kicks and hand-to-hand choreography, but in a modern setting. It's very well suited to the likes of Alan Tam, who's got some excellent moments. Here, do you remember that scene where he, he rolls off a couple of boxes, not rolling off, but he does like backwards somersaults or something like that? And there's no doubt that it's him because he's doing what Jackie Chan has preached all these years. You turn to the camera. Make sure the audiences have no doubt in their minds that it's you doing what you're doing. We, we know Jackie didn't do all his stunts, but he, the stuff he did, you know, police story when he slides down the pole, there's no doubt that that's, that is Jackie Chan because we see him afterwards. So that's very clever and skilled of Alan Tam to perform these various physical feats that are not about shooting the gun or anything. It's an excellent, like, primal sequence. Like, it doesn't go all two guns, ba 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 bam, and everyone doing slow motion flips and stuff. It's, you know, kicking and violence and revenge. He need a revenge. And, like, young Andy Lau being thrown into a glass rack. Obviously, breakaway yeah. glass, but he's thrown into it. You see it's him. It's a marvelous little crescendo to the movie that is about the violence that needs to take place in a revenge movie. It doesn't stray and makes it oddly kung fu-ish just because these were guys who worked at Shaw Brothers. But no, it keeps it within the logical frame of a movie like this, but still showcases quite excellently how Lau Garlong transitioned from Shaw Brothers to modern-day action with uh, a new generation of players. So, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much... That's all I need to say. It's, a, it's, it's part of the whole. It doesn't stand out like, oh my god, what a, like, 5,000% better action sequence compared to the rest of the tame movie. No, no, no. It's like, it has a steady stream of very excellent action, and this is part of that steady stream that reaches a crescendo, but it's why I can't pick out huge specifics, because it's, it's part of many excellent sequences in the movie. Yeah, and I know what you say. It keeps... It- it keeps in line with what the movie's about and it needs to be that that kind of brutal revenge so uh, but it, it's clever because you think it's going to be like 20 minutes and i think it only cuts down to about 10 minutes of, of, of action stuff but what they cram in is amazing you've got like your your kung fu you've got your your gun fu you've got sword play in there uh, snapshots of you know uh, guns and, and uh, People left, right, and center being killed, and the brutality of it—it's very clever, you know, and and quite like I say, quite a short period of time because you expect it to be a fifteen, twenty-minute sequence, but it's a ten-minute, and it's bam, 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 bam. And what they fit in, like I say, there's a sword fight in there as well. It's like, whoa, they've got the the sword fight, and oh, very clever to throw that in to just give that something different, and then it will it, it finishes with something completely different. That's uh, not a gun or not a sword, so we'll leave that for <clears throat> for you to watch. That goes, you know, then that's the brutality of it. Just as a encapsulate the the whole of the scene, because you just need to watch it and I love its beauty as it's directed. But I put it's a a gun foo ballet of bullets and bloody brutal revenge. Then they walked home. <laughs> <laughs> 
and no one slipped on a banana peel and then, no, and, then, then fr- and then the credits freeze like Wong Jing style or anything no that's why Wong Jing cinema was kind of uh, we'll talk Wong Jing in the latter half but that's why Wong Jing cinema was so predictable even if you made an action movie you know there's going to be a sequence where someone goes ah and then freeze frame like, like there's a gag at the end but normally it wasn't very funny yeah exactly like even at the end of uh, fucking Rape by an Angel, which he produced, which is a dark ass movie, inappropriate com- comedically as well, but dark ass movie, and after some really heinous stuff uh, within the category free rating, it ends with a gag. There you are. <laughs> That's Wong Jing for you. But uh, yep, do you have any other notes, buddy? I remember what that Max Max movie was. Here with tomorrow. Oh yeah, I like that I movie. I just remember he was in it. Yeah, I remember. I liked it. He was in it. It was a bit of better tomorrow, but it was the same. It was the same time. It was like the eighties, late eighties, eighty eight and stuff. It was around that same time. So I watched all these kind of movies, and that was the other one. I've got it on VHS somewhere. I have to dig it out. Yeah, and then Michael Mew. Michael Mew was his co-star there, who's yeah. in this movie as well. Mew exactly. Q-Y. Right on. I, I, I haven't seen that movie in a dog's uh, dog age. I, I bought the DVD. The Hong Kong DVD actually had the English dub on it as well, which was cool for one of these movies. Uh, these. Uh, Modern movies, so there you are. But all right, as for availability, it's uh, been put out on disc at least twice in Hong Kong. Uh, the older universe release, which is I own, uh, plus a remastered release by Megastar. But both are actually out of print right now, and no Blu-ray or such. Uh, universe featured mono, while Megastar had a remix only. But uh, according to a friend of mine who's seen it, it was quite a restrained remix with only like maybe one instance of a new effect, someone going through glass or something. So Megastar usually kept it fairly restrained uh, for the most part. Uh, like Someone like Fortune Star usually just remixed the crap out of these movies badly. And uh, like uh, their Blu-ray range like uh, don't even have mono sound as an option. So, uh, But Megastar kept it fairly restrained and even the great remixes. Uh, it, that, that's so underrated, Phil. I mean, it, it is such a misguided op- uh, notion remixes over mono and and not featuring the mono but you can do like you can widen like that uh, single channel soundstage to clever effects but it's easier to just do new foley effects for guns and glass and it always stands out poorly in my in my head but um, there are some good uh, remixes like in the west i always almost always watch the texas chainsaw massacre nowadays with the surround remix because they did so well and uh, so, like, there, there, there is um, there is skill present there. But then they ruin movies like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly with remixes. Like, dude, what's going on here? Like, th- that gunshot was from 2015 <laughs> and not, like, 1966 or whatever. Try and find them used, and hopefully there'll be a reissue at some point. Um, but uh, for now, they are out of print, these movies. But hopefully you listeners picked up, picked up uh, a copy back in the day. So there you are. Uh, but for now, we're going to take another podcast promo break. And after that, we fast forward an entire year to 1989 and Casino Raiders. Andy Lau is back. Alan Tam is back. And uh, we are going to look at uh, one gambling movie that kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Uh, but uh, we'll uh, talk of uh, if that's unfair or not. And if we are on Team Tam after our review of the casino raiders so sit tight and we'll be back all right man we really got to record a promo for this thing should we write a script for this nah fuck it man we'll do it live hey folks this is el goro and this is the cancer man and we are the hosts of talk without rhythm the only podcast that will not attract the worm that really doesn't explain what we do well we watch two movies a week we review them we bullshit and sometimes we say something funny yeah but most of the time we just piss people off well, the american film viewing public can't handle most of what we have to say but if you think you can you can find us on itunes if you do a search for talk without rhythm you could also also find us on our website, TWORpodcast.com. 
www.blogspot.com, baby. Deuces. Welcome back in the second Valentine movie up for review during this Teen Tammy or Not special that we do, do, do every now and again. It's Casino Raiders from 1989 and plot that is a little bit more involved compared to uh, Dragon Family, but uh, it uh, needs to be set up a little bit more properly. And it's from John Charles' review of the film at Hong Kong Digital. So here we go. Master Gamblers Sam Law, played by Alan Tam, and Crab Chan, played by Andy Lau, are reunited when the latter is released from jail. The pair head to America, where Sam helps a casino manager, played by Charles Hung, and he helps him nail some Japanese sharks, cod sharks, including... Long Fung, Jimmy Long Fung, who plays the bad guy here. They have won over 60 million from the establishment in just two weeks, so they, they think something is up there. While there, Sam meets beautiful heiress Tong Koyan, played by Aidy Chan, and uses a rather elaborate practical joke to help win her favor. And I think we're going to talk of that. Unfortunately, the Japanese hire men to get revenge, and in the process of saving Sam's life, Crab's left hand gets slashed, effectively ending his days as a fast con artist. So Andy Lau gets uh, kind of downtrodden and down on his luck in this movie as well. After a further attempt on his life, Sam accepts an offer tabled to him by Aidy Chan's uh, character Koyan's father, and that is Sam will receive a job in his company if he agrees to leave his life of crime behind him. Unable to support himself and unwilling to take money from Sam, Andy Lau's crab challenges the Japanese gangsters to a high-stakes game but Sam refuses to go to the match uh, with him. Crab swindles his opponents out of their money and the Japanese retaliate by kidnapping Aidy Chan's Koyan, setting the stage for multiple tragedies. And I'm not going to add anything like, And then it's goofy because it's Wong Jing. No, not really. Yes, we'll talk of and uh, I'll lead again. For my money's worth, a strong movie co-directed by Wong Jing, which is a rare thing to say. An actual movie that is strong. It may be long, but I, I think it's one of Wong Jing's strongest achievements as serious as a serious director. And I feel ashamed that I tend to forget it when talking of the movies that ignited the gambling genre of the time, because this fits in that uh, timeline. So um, it came out the same year as God of Gamblers, for instance. But uh, enough of that for now. What do you think of Casino Raiders? Was this your first viewing, by the way? Uh, no, I'd seen it before. It was another um, uh, blast from the past. So uh, I'd seen it many, many years ago. And I probably enjoyed it more uh, the first time I watched it because it was in that genre that, you know, got a gamblers and, and the likes. And probably Dragon Family at the same time and all those kind of movies. And I, I probably really enjoyed it a lot more the first viewing rather than the second viewing. I just thought it was slightly too long this time. But it does have its standout moments within the movie. So it's definitely not a, a thumbs down for me. I think I enjoyed it more the first time I saw it and then the second time not so much uh, I guess but um as a yeah like I say as a Wang Jing movie I think it's uh, it's uh, underrated absolutely in that genre of of, of gambling movies how, how familiar are you with his true tools of the trade because he tends to make uh, you know just comedies as well which uh, with a lot of like uh, you know, the romancing star movies are like the cast hitting on women left and right and uh, and uh, the comedy is quite calculated and all of that. So how And they might have action, these movies, but they might not. So how, how familiar in reality are you with Wong Jing's like 
reputation as a commercial comedic filmmaker not so much i think there's a lot of there's a lot of fans out there in good and bad so you kind of hear that and it's very much on everybody's lips but i wouldn't say i've seen a broad brushstroke of those kind of movies i've always kind of hit on the kind of you know the gutter gamblers crocodile hunter city hunter you mean City Hunter, yeah. Maybe Crocodile Hunter was uh, Wong Jing. I haven't seen that. But City Hunter is a good example of you can see a Jackie Chan movie and a Wong Jing movie in there at the same time, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've seen those. I, I, I know of his reputation and I've probably not seen those movies that people are probably more familiar with uh, and are, you know, specifically Wong Jing movies. But over the years, I've come to know about him, obviously, because the fan base is, is so strong, also vocal as well. For him and against him. And, and he's a vocal guy too, for better or worse, uh, but we're not going to talk politics uh, necessarily, but his opinions are not necessarily popular with the majority of the people. He said some things during the Hong Kong riots uh, last year or earlier this year that wasn't too popular. So, uh, But uh, anyway, back to Casino Raiders. This was successful. It earned a little over 23 million Hong Kong dollars at the box office. And it came out a few months before the big one that ignited the gambling genre, God of Gamblers. It deserves a mention, even though it tends to get buried. as a little bit more serious movie, as I said, and not this uh, mix of Rain Man and Gun Fu. <laughs> you know, that God of Gamblers is. Uh, it's uh, Andy play back here. At this time, he played a lot of triad characters. Um, some iconic. You know, a moment of romance followed uh, this movie uh, the year after. So that was uh, a very popular character type for him. But he shows presence, Andy Lau, I think, in this one as well. He's uh, both edge and a sense of fun. And I think you can see in both Dragon Family and this one that he's happy to be here. He's happy to perform here. And he's always been thankful to Wong Jing for giving him a career, essentially. Like, uh, he had a cameo in a fairly recent uh, Wong Jing production that made a lot of money. I won't spoil it because it's... Uh, yeah, yeah, I won't even say what movie it is. <laughs> because that will probably spoil it. But he made a cameo in that. So he's always been thankful to Wong Jing's career even... At his age now, so uh, but 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 I think he's uh, he's uh, quite happy to be here. Looking at the scene in the car where Rosamund Kwan picks him up after he's uh, released from jail, and he's uh, changing his clothes in there and uh, taking her gun and pointing it to his head and fi- not firing the gun, but because it's empty, and just kind of having a little bit of a ball. I think um, it's very much so. I mean, he's uh, doing the like triads character scowling a little bit so but he's he's definitely as my notes will go on like uh, he will be integrated very well into the movie dramatically as well i'm not even immediately annoyed at alan tam's intro when he uh is drunk and annoying like i'm not immediately annoyed by that thankfully because that's his intro i uh, they're playing a guessing game is like and uh like which card uh or which uh drink uh uh, the thing you put under your drink, so which one has the text underneath it? It's like, it's not the left, it's not the middle, right? Like, oh my god, like, but it isn't annoying. Mainly because of the twist that Alan Tam and Andy Lau are pulling up a scheme here. They know each other, so they're pulling up a little bit, a little bit of a scheme here. So, I, I like, in general, how, how do you think they work together if before we dive deeper into the movie? It works well, doesn't it? Because you you kind of got that kind of comedic, that kind of soft edge, and before it goes, you know, probably to darker places later on, and just brings them together. And it's it's quite clever the way that's kind of played to and and introduces the characters. It's different from kind of other movies where you know you just walk in and yes, they're they're brothers, yes, they're pals, yes, they're you know they introduce them in a different way and setting the whole kind of gambling theme off as an introduction. 
and the double play and and the twist in it and and there's more to come kind of thing. So it, it sets up the characters, you know, well. And like I say, I've I've got again, I've got some love for Alan Alan Tam in this movie. I'm definitely uh, Team Tam today. Well, I can get, let the cat, cat out of the bag uh, if we look at the performance in general. He's got very much decent presence uh, because when he switches to his actual character and not this fake drunkard, he's quite suave and even dignified. Uh, and uh, it's obviously much more of a verbal performance. Uh, watching these two movies back to back, it kind of looks to me per default that Alan Tam will work better when not concerning himself with all-out romance or comedy um, because he, it simply isn't funny when he's being the light and wacky guy. That's also someone that the lead actress could fall in love with because I don't buy that for a second. Here, uh, like these two performances, these two um, more dramatic performances um, or, or in darker movies work so so much better and they work together too. Like I think they have good chemistry, both light but also dramatic chemistry as well. Uh, I have an example of that later on in my notes. So, so it's no surprise that they got put in a movie again together because they were both working actors and uh, a lot of people were and uh, people just crossed paths often. And it's no surprise either that the God of Gamblers actors, a lot of them turn up here. Other than Andy Lau, you got uh, Charles Hung. Or if you remember God of Gamblers, he plays the uh, bodyguard of uh, Chang Fat's uh, character. Yeah. Uh, Lung Fung is, the, is one of the bad guys in God of Gamblers as well. He turns up here. And uh, all hard-working men, young or slightly older or, or veteran actors. And it's a time to be admired in Hong Kong cinema that they shunned out so much. You could always see that the quality wasn't uh, good at all times. But they were, so many of them were so hard-working. And I have such high respect for that. A guy like Andy Lau just buffed out movies left and right. Uh, and lead roles as well, not just walk-on roles, uh during his Monday or anything, and uh, like a uh, minute here, a minute there, no lead roles left and right. There's no way you can't admire that work ethic. You know what I mean? And you're a fan of Andy Lau, anyway, so I'm sure you feel yeah. feel the same or roughly the same. I mean, could you? I mean, based on like your stamina during that when you were his age, your stamina now make so many movies per year and be a, and be an entertainer mixed with that as well. He was a singer, as so, you know. Like, would you? You would you have the stamina? No, I, I just it must have been on something. I mean, it's just tremendous. You, the body of work is just phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, it is just uh, you just can't wrap your head around. You know, you, you can't have had a day off, literally. See the body of work he does, like in those years, it's just like it's tremendous. I, I, I'm a fan. I have to say, Fair I remember, remember Bay Logan told the story of uh, actor Eddie Coe. Eddie Cohen, yeah, who told the story to him, and I'm sure it's true for a lot of our other hard-working actors, maybe Andy Lau, but the Eddie Cohen story went that he didn't go home for a stretch of three weeks. He worked that much. Eddie, Eddie Cohen, <laughs> taking a van to each set, back and forth, sleeping in the van and stuff like that, or on the set. And uh, you, you don't think of Eddie Cohen as a, that much of a frequent actor, but he, he certainly was. Not always a lead role, so of course. Uh, Eddie Cohen was more of a character actor and background player and uh, kung fu player back in the day. But um, yeah, that's uh, I think that that can be true for Randy as well. Like the management uh, often found him in a, in a van sleeping. <laughs> You're doing a try movie for Wong Jing now. Oh, okay, right. Here's a here's a pack of cards. Do shit. Oh, like you, you, you're working for Wong Kar Wai today. Great. What am I doing? I'm standing here not doing anything, and that's art. Fine. <laughs> but, but you know, even seemingly slow sections of uh, when they get to Las Vegas. I don't know the the surroundings of. Uh, I think they're in Las Vegas anyway. Regardless, they go to America, but it looks like they went to Canada. 
Like the, right, the, the yeah. trees and stuff, but uh, yeah. Yeah, you get away with it. I've been to Vegas. It looked like Vegas. They get away with it. Right. It, it looked like pine trees, like in one scene. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> when he's driving with uh, Rosamund Kwan on his motorbike, Allentown. But uh, regardless, it's, uh, it is what it is. But even seemingly slow sections of them monitoring like these potential uh, cheaters, they're in front of a whole uh, wall of monitors. It's, for my money's worth, it's, it's very calm, collected and quiet and professionally handled. Like Wong Jing, when he wanted to be serious, he could do it quite well uh, and uh, dedicate himself to being an actual filmmaker. And uh, like this um, fairly slow, like trying to figure out what the Japanese is doing to earn that much money. Like what's their cheating technique and sending Alan Tam to the tables and all of that. Uh, it, it's quite professionally done and uh, throughout like the chemistry builds for me between Alan Tam and Andy Lau. And you you get reminded of I'm, I'm sorry I sound like I'm crapping on him, but he, he deserves it. You are reminded of when he doesn't have chemistry with people. It's so painful. We, we're talking of Armor of God, and like they weren't clicking in that movie, him and Jackie Chan. Here, uh, I can see a comfort between the men, you know, uh, maybe a friendship in real life as well. But it looks like they're playing off each other very well, regardless of it's uh, dramatic or comedic. Um, and, and the comedic stuff... Um, there's no extended sequences that I can remember where you go like, okay, Wong Jing, like that doesn't belong. But it's like moments rather for for me. But uh, my memory might be shot at this time because I'm I'm quite a big fan of uh, of the movie. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. And like you say, that is a good sequence. Um, they got the screens up, and it, it, it is a quiet sequence, and it builds quite nicely. And you could have just thrown it in, and it's yeah, they're, they're doing this and this, but it's quite clever in the way they dissect what's happening and not rush it. You know, it's very methodical in the way it's done and the use of the actors, and you get that Andy Lau and that Alan Tam chemistry coming off from both of them without saying too much, just that that sitting, that that watching, that understanding. And it, it, sets, it sets both of those characters, I think, there. You can see that chemistry and how that works with both of them in this movie, and it's, it's, a, it's a clever scene by Wang Jing, I must admit, because like I say, you could throw something else in, but he doesn't. It, like you say, it's very professional, the way it's set up. I'm not so sure I buy the scene where Alan Tam kind of woos I.D. Chan's character when they get, get into the bar and uh, meet a couple of famous faces, uh, both uh, for Hong Kong cinema fans and IFD fans, because I.D. Chan bumps into Mike Abbott, who is wearing a sleeveless chain combo. He's, my God, that is an unusual getup that they gave Mike Abbott and his big eyes. <laughs> like, you've you, you, you lived a longer life than I have. Like, was that a fashion in 1989? <laughs> <laughs> um, not that I recall, but uh, I, I don't think my fashion was much better. I have to say, looking back at the pictures now, um, so I'll, I'll take, I'll plead the uh, fifth on that one. <laughs> and what it is, I mean, do, do remember the whole um, the gag that uh, Alan Tan plays on Ivy Chan's uh, character? They have a big old fight in the club, but what is the actual like gag in the end? Do you remember that offhand? Not really, because I, I went for a cup of tea at the time. Because I was like, oh, here we go. Here's this comedic scene that's going to end up and stuff. So I, I caught the back end of it, uh, saw the '80s outfit, and went, "Ah, oh, this this doesn't this doesn't bode well." I don't remember this when I first watched it. I must have blocked it from my memory. Oh my god, he's wearing chains! Get it off! Turn it off! It's actually a birthday surprise for Idi Chan's character after they've beaten the shit out of Alan Tam, thrown him into stuff like that is elaborate wooing and a birthday surprise like you read about. And you see guys like Bruce Fontaine and Wayne Archer, possibly Mark Houghton in there, after they're like mean fighters, they're like, happy birthday to you, happy birthday. <laughs> my 
God, that is elaborate. That they probably planned in 10 minutes. Just beat the shit out of me. And that involved, that's involved courting, my friend. Yeah, that's the worst birthday surprise ever. Although I best not tell the missus, oh, why, do, why have you never done that for me? Um, I just go to the pub now, shall I? Like, yeah, bring, bring, I'll bring my chains. That's it, I'll bring my chains. I'll dig out my clothes from the 80s. I, I'll probably just, uh, you know, fall to the floor from the pressure of those. Like, uh, like they look so heavy. Like, I'm, if they put them on me, I'm just going to fall flat like a pancake to the floor. Like, Mike Abbott did it, how can I? Whoop! And, uh, I'm dead. But yeah, that, that's that's uh, wonderful. And uh, yeah, you, you can see Bruce Fontaine and Wayne Archer in there. They obviously appeared in across the two Armor of God movies. And there were regular faces at IFD and uh, Filmark uh, making these uh, ninja action movies as uh, leads or supporting players and uh, all of that. So it's cool to see them in them. They, they were in Hong Kong. So I mean, they, they were employed both in actual movies, so to say, and IFD's less popular but uh, fun uh, ninja mashups. Oh, speaking of Eddie Coe, he's actually in this movie. I just forgot about that. The, the sequence where Andy Lau loses his abilities, if you will. That whole uh, quite well-conveyed, uh, in terms of tension, scene where he's got Eddie Coe at gunpoint, but Eddie Coe's got a knife you know, ready to slice uh, Andy Lau's palm, which is not an overly violent sequence or a gunplay sequence or anything, but that that is also, as to just be simple about it, a very good example of tension that is well-conveyed, and that's not the action director's taking over that is and i i uh, I, like, I like it i mean there, there's even as um a scene i think after this a surprise attack on alan tam where he's hit by a car and then some cops run up run up to him and they stab him he doesn't die i should say but it's genuinely surprising and even harrowing that the these two sequences i think that sets off that separates the characters uh they've been like on the top of the world essentially and on control of uh, on control of the uh, their fate, but this finding out that the Japanese are cheating, that they're obviously gonna want revenge on that because they're losing money. And uh, yeah, it's pretty harrowing stuff. Uh, dark, dark violence. I would have. Seen. Yeah, it kind of that that kind of uh, kicks off the, the the next part of the movie because obviously, like you say, you know, the Andy Lau, the Eddie Coe bit, and Eddie Coe's got those eyes when he looks at you. He's like, well, you've got that, and is Andy Lau gonna? Is he gonna move? Isn't he gonna move? The tension builds, and like I say, that's that's his. Things change for him as a character from that moment, and I love that Eddie exchange and that look and that slow mo. And then, like you say, the Alan Tan, and I always remember the Alan Tan bit of being run over by the car because it's an Austin Allegro. <laughs> I used to work for Rover back in the day. Right I on. know what that car is. It's an Austin Allegro. <laughs> Just for you car freaks out there. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, and he survives that miraculously, obviously. And uh, but yeah, it sets off uh, the better dramatic beats of the movie that I was. That I've forgotten about, but I was not surprised to see. But the key here is I was still impressed to see them. There's uh, they're driven apart. As I said, Sam leaves the Alan Tams. Sam leaves the gambling life and marrying uh, Ivy Chan's character. That's the the uh, term. And Andy Lau is kind of left on his own because he's not able anymore. And there's the Better Tomorrow echo a little bit. And I love the dramatic beat that uh, he r- arrives at the wedding reception yeah. al- alongside Rosamund Kwan, uh, which is his. Uh, love interest. She's uh she's a hostess. Obviously, that means she's a prostitute. So, them two walking in there, looking uh, not as sharp as anyone else, uh, is going to be noticed. And they're clearly not comfortable being there. There's even that comment. I, I love little beats like this. That Alan Tam, rather Andy Lau comments that, "Whoa, you're looking sharp. Uh, you got a tuxedo on." And Andy Lau is wearing this. I mean, he's got a suit and tie, but it's clearly not. A tux is not something that character can afford anyway. Like, and it shows 
like th- that that room is just social class difference going on right there and and it's going to hurt that friendship and the beat that I love is Rosamund Kwan first wanted to give this uh, these like plated uh, playing cards to Andy Lau but he thinks that that's a better present for Alan Tam and and he gives it to him during the wedding reception but it's not really appropriate for him to accept that because that is going against the family's wishes that that gambling life and criminal life is going to be put behind so he can't actually really you know suitably logically give him that present and uh, there's a great little uh, subtitle and thankfully the subtitles on this are pretty great except for a few exceptions but he says to Alan Tam like what can I be in your life now your shoeshine boy they're, mm. they're they're so they're they're driven apart, and there's uh, it leads to a little bit of a heartbreak in this movie, like seeing these friends torn apart. And it's also it's well played and underplayed. Uh, it's all like one on one sequences, you know what I mean? Like uh, like one shot kind of deal. They run for long, and he does well with Wong Jing, you know. And I anyway think that friendship is uh, quite um, affecting uh, when you break it down personally. I don't know if you felt like. It was dramatically great or anything. No, dramatically it was perfect. What a perfect setting for it to show the the difference in class that now Alan Tam is running in these circles and this hierarchy. And, and as you say, Andy Lowe somewhat isn't and stuff. And the state of his clothes, obviously, it, they say as much. But obviously, Rosemary Kwan being there, uh, you know, Bobo, her name is the hostess, and somebody grabs her as they're walking out and stuff. And they're oh, yeah, yeah, you know saying you know you're a hostess what you're doing at, at this kind of gig and stuff so that whole that whole relationship collapses around just in that in that scene that's set up and he's built up and then like you say and then it sort of collapses around them from that from that point so it is it's very very clever what's done in just a short sequence when you've you've set it all up and these two you know great pals and and then you just crumble it away in like you know a moment a scene that just dramatically portrays them just coming from two different now um, hierarchical uh, societies that Alan Tam is now in and Andy Lau is just at at the bottom rung and and just going down and down. It even uh, extends to that sequence of uh, the coin toss that is uh, a scene or two after this wedding, which is played for an extended time but earns it in my opinion like they you could have just gone all out (laughs) but no they don't they reel it in like these two are as characters are trying to keep a keep a strong like uh, exterior as possible but this one-on-one is quite you know teary and dramatic for them but it's it's actually and I, I never thought I was going to say this about a Wong Jing movie a moment in a Wong Jing movie it's actually played very beautifully and boy are the actors uh, responding to this um, so um, I mean it, it fits the movie it's not like the switch is to right who dropped a banana peel on the floor and what's Ken Cheng doing eating the buffet at the, if he was in this movie <laughs> <You know? laughs> Lung Fong I don't think he played a good guy in his life Unfortunately, he's passed away. But man, if you want a villain and a game actor to do heinous stuff to actors and actresses in movies, get Lung Fong. He, uh, there's no necrophilia for this one, like in God of Gamblers. There's a scene of necrophilia in there. He isn't uh, rapey and abusive against uh, Joey Wong, akin to An Eye for an Eye, which is another good Max Mock movie. He always turns up like, he, he always seems like he's wearing a suit and his uh, hair is all slicked back. He looks a little bit like Alan Tang. Uh, which is another actor, but I, I love Long Fong. This is, uh, you know, the movie's gonna go some 
dark, like high intense places. And uh, despite knowing that Long Fong is gonna be one of the bad guys here, but uh, I, I absolutely enjoy his presence. Um, and uh, I think he was a kung fu movie actor partly, but it's this era where he's uh, in a variety of Wong Jing movies. And uh, to my memory, uh, in, if I remember correctly, essentially never played a good guy. But his look doesn't like translate to him being in being a romantic interest for Rosamund <laughs> Kwan in another movie. <laughs> absolutely, there's there's a few of those. I think he definitely fits in that character. He's always going to be uh, the villain of the piece. Um, and but yeah, like you say, he always plays it plays it so well and uh, crops up in a few more uh, gambling movies. I think one of the the other gutter gamblers. Yeah, yeah, the fir- yeah, the first one. Uh, first one might have been in the third one. Yeah, don't remember now. We did a gambling season. I've forgotten all about it already. But, uh, but yeah, there's a pl- plenty of actors to keep track of. But the, yeah, you know also that the the, the scene where Andy Lau and Rosamund Kwan are planning to steal. Lung Fung's money at the gambling table. You know, as soon as the cops break in and allow throws the briefcase out the window and uh, Rosamund Kwan drives away, you know they're not going to go down without a fight. And you kind of know that some of these characters are just doomed. I, I was involved in that. Uh, I was scared for the characters. Like, oh my God. Because I, rem- I didn't remember extensively what happened to the main characters and some of the sub-supporting characters. But I, I was involved in that. I mean, if we talk running time, it is a two-hour movie. Mm. And it feels at times like an issue, but at other times, for me, it makes sense because Wong Jing does well letting certain scenes run. The scene with the coin toss that I talked about, uh, it's just two actors going at it for a few minutes, and I think he earns that. So that's where some of the running time comes from, but I don't think it's an issue overall, actually, because he earns those dramatic moments. He doesn't stretch them and then fills in with lazy comedy or any lazy melodrama as such. Uh, because it's uh, when all of a sudden it's done, it's a fairly meaningful brotherhood story uh, for me. If I explain my overrunning thing, I think you, you're absolutely right. In the latter part of the movie, I, I think everything should be as as it is. I suppose, you know, I, I always want to get to the action. So, you know, the birthday party sequence, you can take out and the whole, you know, romancing thing and you know i'm not i'm not up to speed with i just want to get to the the vengeance part i guess but you're right from that that point on when it starts to all break down i think every sequence is needed and like i say those sequences that could have been short or could have been chopped slightly no i think you're right they they should be there because of the dramatic nature of where the film's going i think it works really well for for the whole of that latter part and they you know and allowed going down that route and the the kind of tragic love story I suppose as well, and Kirk Wong's you know crops up as a cover. <laughs> oh yeah, Kirk Wong the actor. He, speaking of someone who doesn't underplay anything, <laughs> you know he comes in there and chews the scenery and chews like bits out of everyone. Like I'm a cop and I'm loud. What's <laughs> what are you doing there? Want to be, get beat up? Like and this is Kirk Wong the director of Crime Story and all of that. He was a pretty decent character actor who came in never underplaying anything. <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. Which is probably yeah, it's a bit. It's how it gets away with it because like it's just different. It's it's a bit off the wall, but he still he gets away with you know what he does. And I know I appreciate everything going kind of going forward, and everything has a moment, and everything has a place for those elongated moments in the movie going forward could, to what builds up to. So yeah, it, it builds up among other things to a great little gunplay sequence yeah. at the house of uh, Long Fong's. Plenty of acrobatic stuff here, but primarily bloody. Like, the squib work is fantastic here. Yeah. And uh, 
there, it's part of the violent escalation and the sequence is well timed as such. We can, it's okay to get that sequence late in the movie, being a gunplay sequence, uh, because of the dramatic nature of it and without spoiling it, what, what happens, you know, what, what, what characters makes it or not, essentially. Yeah, I, I, I dug it that it was just as Dragon Family, I dug it because it was genuinely violent and not just, uh, you know, someone uh, pulling up two guns and being stylish, but in less of a serious way and more of a John Woo stylish way. I think we would have been taken out of the moment if it'd mm-hmm. been like that. It would have been cool, of course, but uh, I, I think it works better for that is primarily bloody and violent. Uh, yeah, it keeps it in the, the, the realism of, of the movie. Like, say, if you'd gone and kind of the John Woo route and, you know, two guns blazing and slaying, you would have taken away from, from what it was, which was, you know, just brutal and, and bloody as it should be. And then just brings it you know you get to that pinnacle and then it brings it down another notch in the sequence where you know he needs to save his life and then they bring it back up a notch again oh, i'm not saying anything but then they bring it back up a notch again because you kind of know what's going to happen and then it does and then it builds that back up so it's a high in the gunplay bring it back down to a low the sequence and then it brings it back up to another high. After it's very clever the way it's done. The the, the element of end of that gunplay sequence you you never necessarily saw in uh, these kind of movies. The yeah the elements of the the drinks. We said that it was part of the gambling craze, and it certainly is. But it doesn't focus extensively on it. The movie ends at a gambling table. Uh, I, I've said this about especially God of Gamblers from the same year that I have a Wong Jing shot back to back to this or was working on at the same time. But it certainly shows that he's good at crafting tension around the gambling table, despite being probably one of the most boring things to do in movies, shoot things at a fucking table. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's you don't need to know anything necessarily about the whatever game they're playing here. It's You, you get the story beats. And, and even I.D. Chan gets to lead this scene partly, and I won't say why, which is good. Like uh, Wong Jing's portrayal of women in these movies, necessarily not the sharpest at all times. Understated there from Ken, well done. Adi Chan, you know, at least gets to lead, and she's a good reactor. Uh, yeah. She's not, again, going the non-verbal route, and if you convey that, then you have a, sk- a, a skill set that is very admirable, if you can um, react in a non-verbal fashion. She's not mute, the character, but they, this sequence doesn't require her to comment on every single thing that goes on. And uh, yeah, I suppose that's it. I'm very, very, I was very impressed with the movie still, and uh, the running time concerned me. But in the end, I, I, I personally didn't look at my watch. I thought it was one of the rare cases where Wong Jin could put off a two-hour movie, and it seems like at this time, for two movies, he could because God of Gambles was also a two-hour movie, and that is a mighty silly movie and a mighty cool kick-ass movie, and sometimes dramatically. But that, that's the actors. To the actor's credit, that and Wong Jing's credit as director, that he makes that stuff work. That it's a super silly movie, and uh, I was anyway with the first God of Gamblers on board with everything uh, it did. There, it was very typical Hong Kong, but uh, good fun. Like Andy Lau went from pre- a pretty gloomy performance to a to a very uh, to a very, very silly performance, and then in 1990 to a very gloomy performance again with a moment of romance, which is still one of his strongest performances in his career, actually. Yeah, yeah great movie so yeah no no i totally agree and i, I love the a lot of say the whole revenge movies are always my uh my thing the 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 whole casino eddies yes the gambling thing is just a is just a background story for the night of you know andy Lowe and alan tam and that friendship as it goes 
Aussie, it's ups and downs, and um, and fair play to both Alan Tam and Andy Lau for uh, carrying that through and it not being focused on anything else but characters and the way it's portrayed. Um, and you know, kudos. So if people haven't watched Casino Raiders, they really need to dig it out because it's one of those films that you should you should find and you should watch. There's actually um, two sequels kind of followed, but both are standalone movies. Yeah. Uh, there's a movie called No Risk, No Gain, which is also known as Casino Raiders of a sequel, which was written and produced by Wong Jing. But there's also Carino Raider, Casino Raiders 2, which is directed by Johnny Toe. Uh, but it's also unrelated. All movie star Andy Lau, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they've all got Andy Lau in. Alan Tam is in No Risk, No Gain, but not in uh, Casino Raiders 2. Casino Raiders 2, I think, was a product of the success of A Moment of Romance, because they they got together uh, Jacqueline Wu or Wu Qianlian, together again with Andy Lau after a moment of romance. Um, so I think they were riding a little bit on that commercial factor of get these two actors together again. They worked well, and for good reason, they did work well. But I don't remember uh, many specifics of Johnny Toe's Casino Raiders 2. No risk, no gain. I think it was a Taylor Wong movie. Taylor Wong of Rich and Famous, Tragic Hero, and stuff like that. I remember it being way more actiony and way more acrobatic in its action uh, beats. And, and it might be completely different, like, movie in terms of what they're focusing on it might it's so long ago i don't remember if if it was widely comedic and action or tried some drama and some wild action and some wild comedy because it's standalone they um it's uh, something you can watch before casino raiders too and uh, they were clearly capitalizing on the pair up here and uh that gambling movies were kind of a hot hot ticket hot ticket item but uh that's how commercialism works, and uh, can, in Hong Kong, anyway, that can be pretty fun. We can still be on board with the fourth Andy Lau gambling movie in, like, six months. For notes for everybody, because obviously Casino Raiders uh, has Andy Lau as the appropriately named Crab Chan. <laughs> I don't know. Casino Raiders 2 as Andy Lau as Chicken Feet. I don't think they meant to connect it at all. I think it's one of those, like, what do we write in the subtitles? Because maybe <laughs> yeah. it's a completely different name in Chinese. And well, I'm chicken, that's fine. Yeah, that sounds about right. As I said, the subtitles are pretty strong in Casino Raiders, uh, but, but it does have a, a wonderful piece of uh, dialogue. Uh, maybe the only error that I spotted, so to say, but it was mighty funny. Uh, Long Fong asks uh, someone, probably Andy Lau, to do him a flavor. <laughs> to do me a flavor. Yes. And when I posted that on Facebook, someone posted a video of uh, Flavor Flav from Public Enemy. Yeah, boy! <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, it's the little things. An honest mistake. And uh, we can start to like, we're we not going there like, what is that word? What's the context? We get it in a millisecond that it means favor. It's not like, ah, the movie fails on all levels now. Zero stars. No, not at all. Uh, okay, as for availability, Universe seems to be the only one who did a DVD in Hong Kong. And you, all, you also had editions over in Korea without English subtitles that, that actually gathered the sequels, so to say, in a box set, but nothing is in print and it's not been reissued, which is a damn shame. Casino Raiders needs to be out there. I'm hoping the company Vicol, or Vicol that put out a few Blu-rays of uh, a few Stephen Chow movies, and even um, said Rich and Famous on, on Blu-ray. I'm hoping they have a little library of stuff there from various production companies that they are going to put out there because putting out vintage titles on blu-ray on the hong kong market is not guaranteed to make money old movies with old people even if it's andy lao <laughs> uh, but vicol they uh, i saw their 
God of Gamblers, the uh, Blu-ray looked perfectly fine in HD. So for once we're getting HD on Hong Kong Blu-ray. I saw screenshots from Stephen Chow's from Beijing with Love. Perfectly good looking HD as well. Um, so I'm hoping Vicol has the finances to kind of lead the way and put out some lesser known stuff. Even though we, we think Casino Raiders is known. It's not necessarily known either. Mm, like, like God of Gamblers is known. Casino Raiders is not uh, like something you just put out automatically. Um, and, and in my dream world, like... Uh, I always hoped that Criterion would have uh, focused more on Hong Kong cinema after their long ago initial focus on The Killer and Hard Boiled on their Laserdisc and DVD. But um, unfortunately, Criterion either chose not to or couldn't get a good working relationship with uh, people in Hong Kong to source prints and what have you. Because their, their, their thing is mostly their world cinema, so you can't focus on the world. But uh, I, I'm also sad that. Uh, they didn't have it in them to kind of pick up some good dramas and some uh, crucial action movies because they didn't care if they did commercial stuff on, on a criterion rent now. But um, I mean, they put out Armageddon. I, I don't, I'm fine with Armageddon, but clearly they're not like snobbish about uh, like, oh, we only put out French art films or anything. No, no, no. They're, they're, they're doing it all. So maybe in the future, uh, if uh, elements are getting better over in Hong Kong, if that is indeed a problem, then maybe criterion will look at a Hong Kong classic or two and not just uh, art. Because they, they've done a one kawaii movie or two, but uh, that's not necessarily my cup of tea. Uh, but uh, that, that's the availability, sadly, but uh, I think uh, it's worth a discussion regardless of these two movies, Dragon Family and Casino Raider. So um, fingers crossed they end up on disc again or on demand in some way. Uh, so, uh, you know, iTunes or something like that. But that, that's us. That's us. Uh, we have nothing to announce next time because that's not really how we work. So uh, when me and Phil to get together, I'm sure there's two Alan Tam movies to pair up. Uh, I haven't seen the Lucky Star mo- Stars movie that he appears in. Lucky Stars Go Places. That might be the most annoying performance ever. Who knows? But uh, it's uh, it's worth taking a look at based on that alone, even if that Lucky Stars movie is like the least popular one out of the bunch. Uh, I don't know. I've only seen Winners and Sinners, I believe. I haven't even seen my Lucky Stars. Listeners, just just tell us what you want. You know, get on the page. Tell us what you want. Tell us on you know Facebook. What what do you want us to review? Tell, team Tam, why do you want us to review? Yeah, we're Give on us, Team Tam now. Like you, like we're all Team Tam provide now. us with good stuff now. You've like, got to, you got to keep Team Tam going. If you don't keep Team Tam going, Pantyhose Hero again? No, no. Yeah, exactly. We'll have to go back again. So you know, still don't like it. Interest. Yeah, it's in your best interest. You, you tell us what you want us to review uh, and view for your pleasure, and uh, we'll we'll do it. We're we're like that. We're good like that. I am a I am a sadist, but. Um... I don't want to go back to certain movies despite. <laughs> I mean, it's only, I've done it already on this show. It's no use like, uh, let's try a review three weeks later, see what we think. Same. <laughs> yeah, so, like, same. what's the point of that? <laughs> I slept, woke up, nope, fell asleep. Exactly the same. <laughs> but okay, Phil, let's uh, wrap it up and uh, thank you everybody for listening and uh, this is the contact info briefly again. This has been Crapping on Alan Tam, our, on the Podcast on Fire Network, uh, i.e. Podcast on Fire, but we didn't really crap on it. We crapped uh, flowers and rainbows and uh, he loved he loved receiving that, I'm sure. <laughs> so, there you are. Uh, but uh, we are on podcastonfire.com. We have uh, various shows on various Asian countries cinema and bonus episodes every now and again as well. Podcast on Fire at googlemail.com is a way to contact us or send in, send in your requests or question or feedback. We would love to hear from you. We are also on Facebook. Leave us a like, facebook.com forward slash PUF Network, and join the discussion when this episode airs. We would love to see some comments from you about what you thought of the show. You know what I mean? If you only want to say that I like the show, 
that is absolutely fine. That uh, we we're not a snobbish, elitish uh, little community. Like uh, share if you have something to say, share. Like uh, that means a lot. Like it takes a lot for anyone to write any feedback nowadays, and if they do, even if it's so to say only, I like the show. Uh, looking forward to more. That is so meaningful to me. That is so meaningful to me. So so don't be afraid to speak out and even, and even say bad constructive stuff. I can take it. I think. <laughs> but anyway, we are, um, podcast group is called Podcast on Fire Networks. So search us out that way. And our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. My various uh, review endeavors of uh, Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese movies, ninja movies, and sleazy movies is over at SoGoodReviews.com. And I video review along those same lines at SleazyKVideo.com. And I tweet along those same lines at SoGoodReviews. And Podcast on Fire is available on iTunes, not the Allentown Crapping Hour. <laughs> That's a better name, isn't it? Yeah, Allentown Crapping Hour. That's it. it will be a sub-series of this one. But uh, no, Podcast on Fire is on iTunes, uh, along with our other shows. Rate and subscribe, and if you have the time, leave a written comment as well. And finally, stream us on Stitcher Radio through their website, but the smoothest way to access the network in this show specifically is via the applications available to the... what? at the Apple App Store and Google Play to various devices. So that's my contact info, your uh, URL and the web presences, uh, again, for reference sake, Phil. Yeah, so uh, it's uh, www.easternfilmfans.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter at Eastern Film Fans and on Facebook. And remember, sharing is caring. So what should we share to you then? What do you want? <laughs> I was I was vocally, you know, Gary, you were doing that. Share something with us. I was just, you know, kind of taking all that into a couple of words and just popping it out there. Sharing is caring, and then people will care. They'll share. That's that's simple. That's a good. Uh, that's a good outlook on life. So don't share anything with me, and I won't share anything with you. That's my outlook. Like, <laughs> 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 goodbye, I don't need you. <laughs> oh, no, just kidding. All righty. Uh, but uh, thank you, everybody, for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this uh, this discussion. Hopefully, it was uh, well-rounded and constructive and not just about uh, crapping, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed, and uh, please share if you did. But for now, I'm going to be with me was Phil G. So say bye, buddy. Bye-bye. <laughs>